Hi, I'm Ryan Becker, and you're listening to the Rock Hill Seventh-day Adventist Church Official Sermon Archive. You can find more information about our church at www.rockhillsdachurch.org. We hope by listening to this message that you are encouraged and challenged in your walk with Christ. I have a couple of friends that I have known for many, 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 many years who are astounded by the fact that I have ended up in a position where I stand before you on occasion, on a semi-regular occasion, and talk about my experience with my Heavenly Father. They just never saw me doing that. They saw me being a teacher, but in a church, you're, you're, you're like preaching? I'm like, no, not exactly. What I consider that I'm doing is I'm sharing a relationship with other people. Because if anything I have learned from my Heavenly Father over the years is that he deals with me the way I need to be dealt with. And I'm sure he deals with you the way you need to be dealt with. And sometimes they're very different. So I can't talk about anybody but me. And I hope that the experiences, though, that I've had along this rather extensive journey now have some implications or some things that you can learn I find myself very surprisingly now, by the government's definition, to be a senior citizen. <laughs> I thought it would take longer to grow up. Amen. I didn't realize it, that I would snap my... It would, it, and I'm grown up. And then, now I'm a senior citizen. I get AARP solicitations. I get that nice letter from Social Security saying you are fast approaching. I get Medicare supplement solicitations now. Where did the time go? Where did it go? And I'm at that point in my life where I too am looking back at choices that I have made and seeing where I am now and have I been walking in the path that I'm supposed to have walked in? And I will tell you, without going into a great deal of detail, that sometimes I haven't been. But most of the time, I feel I have. Now, the story of King David, as told to us in the Bible, is sometimes one of the most misunderstood biographies ever. And a lot of people can't understand why a man with all the problems and failings and terrible things that he did in his life, like David did, could be a man after God's own heart. And that he was the apple of God's eye. Do you understand what that, that metaphor means? It's when you hold an... You, you, ladies, when we shop for produce, we do this. Men, I hope you know... You can relate to this. If you're not a produce shopper, you might not. You know how when you're shopping for apples, you'll pick them up and you'll get them close to your face so you can smell them and look for the little brown spots and the little things that just aren't, maybe there's a little bruise, and you can see that apple reflected in your eye. That's what it means to be the apple of someone's eye, is that you're so close, being inspected and being held, that it you can see the apple in your eyes. 
David was so close to God. He was the apple of God's eye. Oh, thank you. Now I know what I'm supposed to talk about. Oh, I was supposed to talk about something else. Oh, no, that's okay. That's okay. How could David, who was an adulterer, a murderer, a revolutionary, venal, how could he be a man that God said, this is a man after my own heart? Because David had terrible failings. Terrible things that we can't even imagine. Had an affair with a, one of his trusted friend's wives and then had the friend murdered. God loved him. And people will look at that. People say the Bible's confusing. And that confuses some people. I want to point out some things about David that I have learned in living my life. David paid the penalty for what he did. Oh, he was held accountable for what he did. What about his son Absalom? Who rebelled against him. Turned against his father, tried to kill his father, went to war against his father. What's the old saying? What you reap, you shall also sow. What you sow, you shall also reap. I got it backwards. I usually get things backwards. And then I have to go back and ask forgiveness. <laughs> Straighten it out. David's own son had a horrible, tragic, terrible death. Riding to fight his father, his hair, his beautiful, long, gorgeous hair got caught in the limbs of a tree, yanked him off of his horse, broke his neck, and he was left hanging in a tree. David paid a terrible price for what he did. And if you read the story of David, what David wanted more than anything else was to bring the Ark of the Covenant back to Jerusalem and to build a temple for his God. And you know what God said? Not you, David. Mm -mm. I know that's the, that's the desire of your heart. That's what you want more than anything else. You lost your son. You've lost respect. And what you want the most, you're not going to be able to have. Your other son will be able to do it. Solomon built the great temple of Solomon. Nothing ever seen before, nothing ever seen since. Like the great temple of Solomon. But that's what David wanted to do. God says, no, not you. There's a penalty that you must pay for disobedience. What he was able to do was he was able to bring the ark back. The ark had been captured by the, the enemies of the Hebrew children, by the nation of Israel, and had been carried away. And he was able to return it to Jerusalem. And when it came into the holy city, he was so happy 
that he had found favor in the eyes of his God, that at least this much he could do. He could bring the presence of God back into the nation of Israel. Because in the Old Testament days, where was the presence of God contained? On the mercy seat, the great Shekinah glory was on the Ark of the Covenant. And he was so happy and he was so full of joy that God had forgiven him enough to allow this. That he took off his, all of his kingly robes and all of his silver and all of his jewelry and his crown. And he put on a simple priest garment. And before the ark, as it was coming in, he danced. He danced dance with joy he danced like a child he leapt he clapped he was so overwhelmed in spite of the great sin god was allowing him to restore fellowship by bringing the ark back to the people to the nation where he had intended for it to be all along why? He was a really wicked guy. Mm -hmm. But he also knew what was right and how he was expected to behave by his God. He had forgiveness in him. We look at the way he treated Saul. There were many times when he could have killed Saul, just killed Saul, his great enemy, outright. We know the story where he was in the cave. And he could have leaped, leapt out behind and just killed Saul and let that been the end of it and become king. And he said, no, this man is God's anointed. I am not going to raise my hand against him. He was flawed. But Jesus said, if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also do what? Forgive you. David knew that you're supposed to love your enemy in spite of all, everything that he does. So he had the spirit of forgiveness from the Lord. And he loved much. He loved too much. But he loved his children. He loved Absalom, his rebellious son. He loved him so much that he would have given anything to have been able to reconcile with Absalom and brought him, bring him home and to honor him. Do you remember when Jesus was in the house of Simon the Pharisee and the woman came in who was a known sinner in the town and she got down on her hands and knees and washed Jesus' feet with her tears and dried his feet with her hair? Remember that story? And Simon says, well, how can you let that person even touch you? She's a sinner. How can you forgive her? And Jesus turned to him with a very gentle little smile and said, those who have many sins are forgiven because she loved me so much. Someone with little sins, would they have done something like that? 
She knew she had much to be forgiven for, so she poured herself out to me. She had nothing to give me but her tears. That's all she had. She didn't have any money. She didn't have any gold. She didn't have anything other than her tears and her loving service. He says, so I forgive her. She's got much to be sorry for. She's got much to ask forgiveness for. I forgive her. If you love much, you are forgiven much. Interesting thought in this day and time where there seems to be so much unforgiveness with people. David was told by just about everybody who saw him dancing before the Lord how undignified he was. He was the king. How, why would he act like that? Even his wife came to him. Michal, who was the daughter of Saul, his, his number one wife, said, Well, how glorious was the king of Israel today, dancing like a child. Even his wife. Sermon on the Mount, Jesus teaching. When he's talking to all the people, and some little children wanted to come to him, and the disciples tried to shoo them away. What did he say? Let the little children come to me. And you must become as a little child in order to enter my kingdom. Yes? You must become as a little child in order to come into my kingdom. David didn't have any problem dancing like a child. One of the best memories of my childhood, going to visit Granny and Pawpaw down in Conistee, South Carolina. Little four-room cinder block house with no electricity and no running water. Next door to them lived my Uncle Buddy. My Uncle Buddy was a World War II vet who was severely injured. He only had half of a face. He lived on GI benefits and the generosity of his brothers and sisters and whatever the state of South Carolina was able to do back in the 50s, and late 40s, 50s, and early 60s. His littlest son, Larry, we came down there one weekend and we were sitting on the front porch swing at Granny's house and I looked over and there was Larry in the yard. And Larry's quite a bit younger than me, probably... 15 to 20 years younger than me. And Larry was jumping around and going, Adio, Adio. And he was spinning around and smiling and clapping. And he'd run a little bit and he'd start getting, Adio, Adio. He was so happy and dancing. And I'm like, what on earth? I don't see anything. What's, what's, he, what's he saying? And my papa leaned over and said, somebody gave them a radio, and he's so happy because he's never heard a radio before. I lived in Charlotte. We had TV, black and white. Remember the old Philco's? Okay. You had to turn the dial and then stand there with the rabbit ears. 
piece of tinfoil on this one over here. Remember that? Some of us remember the 50s, okay? He never, they'd never been able to afford a radio. And someone had given them a radio, and he was hearing things he'd never heard before. He's, like I said, I was young, and so he was a lot younger than me. Adio, they, he, had a, he was jumping and dancing and clapping his hands. He was so happy. The happiness, the joy of this little child. Because someone gave him a, an old radio they didn't want anymore. What's that got to do with anything? John 16, verse 33, if you want to look at it, Jesus says, These things I have spoken to you. This is at the end of, of his discourse with the apostles, his disciples in the upper room right before he goes to the cross. He says, These things I have spoken to you in that me, in me, you will have peace in the world you will have trouble. In the world, you will have lots of, lots of good stuff and no one's ever going to say anything mean about you. You're going to have everything you want. You're going to have big cars. No. In, in the New Testament alone, there are 60 specific references to the fact that the child of God is going to have trouble or tribulation, or persecution, or intimidation. Just some quick ones. First Peter 5.8 The devil goes about as a roaring lion, seeking whom he might devour. Be sober and alert. Second Timothy 3, 1-17 that, that whole chapter starts on all the problems you're going to have. Ephesians 6.12, Revelation 2.10, Job 14.1 That's an Old Testament one. But there are so many specific references that we have trouble. It's going to rain. It's going to get dark. And in my life, over these years, and even today, I've not yet arrived. I'm still running the race. It's still raining on me sometimes. And there are dark days. And he asked me, Rebecca, what are you going to do with this storm that's in your life right now? Are you going to use it for yourself and feel bad and sorry? Or are you going to use it to show my love to other people? Are you going to share me even while it's raining on you? Even while you see no light, will you use it to love? Will you use it to comfort? My blessing in this whole thing is that I know he will give me assurance during my struggle. He's not going to wait till it's over, but while I'm going through it, he gives me assurance that he's with me. His name is Emmanuel, God with me. He will give me strength when I fail because I am going to fail 
a lot. Don't let any Christian tell you they've never had a failure. Because if they have, they just had one because they're lying to you. Every believer I've ever met has had a failure of some kind at some place. He will give me hope through the trial. And he will give me confidence in his love. I know a God who loves me when I'm unlovable. I know a God who comforts me when I'm sorrowful. I know a God who has planted within me the ability to do those things for others. He has given me the ability to do that. It is my choice as to whether I will, but he has given me that ability. And I have a God, I serve a God who gives hope to the hopeless. So I will dance in the dark like a child full of joy. I will dance in the rain while the lightning is flashing and the thunder is rolling. I will dance before my God with joy, with confidence, with love because of what he has done for me.